Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you give us ears to hear. We ask that you help us to listen to your word read and preached. We ask that you help us to understand your word read and preached. That we might come ever alive to love of you and service as your agent. Amen. There, uh, just, uh, just a few days ago, I was sitting out on my patio eating lunch. Uh, so if you are tired of these long northern winters, come join us in Dallas. But you should know that we had 47 days over 100 degrees during the summer. So you want to, you wanna, but it's a dry heat, whatever that means. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am honored to be here this morning with you uh, I was here for the Thrive Conference the last couple days and uh, blessed to be a part of the commission that is ordaining uh, Will this morning. Uh, As Matt mentioned earlier, I I pastored the Argyle Evangelical Presbyterian Church in upstate New York um, for 33 years. Um, In January 2009, a group of us from the Argyle Church headed to Beaumont, Texas to help with the cleanup after Hurricane Ike. And as the flight attendant was giving her pre-flight safety instructions, I was doing what some of you may do at that moment, and I was zoning out. I was already starting to read my book or checking some last-minute messages as she was going through those instructions. After all, I'd been buckling a seatbelt since before she was born. And in addition to that, why did I need to know where the life vest was? We weren't flying over the ocean. Well, a few days into our trip, something happened that dramatically has changed how I listened to those pre-flight instructions. On January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549, bound for Charlotte, North Carolina, took off for LaGuardia Airport, but it never made it to Charlotte. You may remember this story just a little bit out. They ran into a flock of birds and the engines lost power. And the pilots realized they were not going to be able to get to an airport. And so they decided to land the plane in the Hudson River. And that event is famously known as the miracle on the Hudson. Well, I wish you could have seen me on the flight back. When that flight attendant said, could I have your instructions, I was already ready. I was holding that safety card in my hands. I made sure that my seat back and uh, tray table were in their locked upright position. The uh, seatbelt was buckled already, but I gave it a little extra tug just in case. I knew that the life vest was under my seat with its red pull-down tab and beacon light and red tube to blow in manually. And I knew that in the unlikely event of a drop in cabin pressure, that four, there are only three seats, but there are four masts that were going to drop down. And I was aware that I needed to put mine on first before I helped my childish companions. (laughs) (coughs) You know, there's listening, and then there's listening. I, I listened to those instructions on the way down, but I actually listened to them on that return flight. 
In this morning's scripture passage in Mark chapter four, Jesus told his audience to listen as he told them the parable of the four soils. And when he was done, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Nine times in this passage, he says to them, he exhorts them to hear. So as we read this morning's scripture passage, I wanna encourage you to listen. Not like I did on the flight to Texas, but on the flight back to New York. Listen like your life depends on it, because in reality, that's how important God's word is to us. We're looking this morning at Mark chapter four, verses one through 20. What's often called the parable of the seed and the sower. However, if you're listening this morning, you're going to discover that it's really the main focus of the parable is on the different kinds of soils. Listen carefully as I read for us God's word. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown along the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been here for this sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, you know that Jesus' ministry got off to a pretty good start. He arrived on the scene declaring the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent 
and believe the good news. To back up his claim that the kingdom had come, Jesus cast out demons, he healed the sick, and he taught about the kingdom of God. Increasingly, large crowds began to show up wherever Jesus showed up. But then there was pushback. In Mark 2, Jesus, four guys bring a paralyzed man to Jesus to be healed. And in that process of healing him, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders took note of that. And they accused him of blasphemy because only God could heal sins. And then a group of folks came and they wanted to know why Jesus' disciples didn't fast. They said, the Pharisees fast. The, teacher, or the, the John the Baptist followers fast. Why do your followers not fast? And then when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees just about lost their minds. And they began to plot how to get rid of him. They even accused Jesus of being possessed by Satan. So here we have this amazing guy, Jesus, who is preaching good news of forgiveness, who is delivering people from crippling diseases and demonic oppression and was giving people hope. How could anyone be opposed to Jesus? For that sake, how can so many of our neighbors and coworkers and friends not believe in Jesus after we've told them about him and what he has done in our lives? Well, those are the questions that Jesus told this parable to answer. And this opposition to what Jesus was doing helps us understand why Jesus taught in parables in the first place. We'll get back to the details of the parable in a minute, but I want to look at those two puzzling verses in the middle of this passage. Jesus is now with the disciples and a few other followers, and they're doing a little Q&A with him, and they ask him why he teaches in parables. Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So the quote, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. On face value, Jesus seems to be saying the reason he teaches in parables is to keep people from understanding and believing in him. But we know Jesus well enough to know that that can't be true. The comment about seeing and not perceiving and hearing but not understanding is actually a quote from the Old Testament. You may recognize it from Isaiah chapter six, verse nine, the call to Isaiah. God calls Isaiah to preach his word But he warns him, he says, the people's hearts are hardened against me and they will not respond uh, to your message. Well, Jesus was facing a similar situation with respect to the religious leaders. Their minds were made up. They weren't looking to understand him. They were looking to get rid of him because he was a threat to their power. So Jesus teaches in parables to reveal the condition, the spiritual state of their hearts. One commentator has suggested that we can translate this passage so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may hear but not understand because the last thing they want is to turn and have their sins forgiven. You know, we tend to think of parables as sermon illustrations, but that's not what they are. 
They're diagnostic tools for revealing the condition of a person's heart. And that's exactly what this parable will do for us this morning. The question we're faced with in this parable is, what kind of soil am I? The details of this parable are pretty straightforward, and since Jesus explains it to us, we don't have any trouble understanding it. The challenge is to hear what it says to us. There's a sower who sows seed, and Jesus says the seed is the word of God. In this parable, he's the sower, but since he has commissioned all of us to go and make disciples, we're all sowers of God's word. And on this Sunday that we're ordaining Will to the sowing role of ordained ministry, it has a unique application for him. Notice that in this parable, the effectiveness of the sowing has nothing to do with the sower. It's solely the result of the condition of the soil. As a sower of God's word, I'm both comforted by that and humbled by that. If we share the gospel with somebody or we teach a Bible study or we preach a sermon and people, there's a great response, we should not make too much of ourselves when that happens. And on the other hand, if we do those things and people don't listen to us or they reject us, we shouldn't be too discouraged by that. Because the condition of the people's heart is the primary cause of their response. You and I are responsible for being clear, for being accurate, for being winsome. But the response, people's responses to our message has a lot less to do with us than we tend to, to think. So the sower of the seed sows the seed and it lands on four different types of soil representing four different heart conditions. It's likely that all four of these heart conditions are represented here this morning. So again, I encourage you to listen for God's voice. He may be calling you to improve the condition of the soil of your life this morning. The first soil is the hard path. When the word is sown, Jesus says Satan comes and he grab, grabs it up before there can be any response. This reminds us that this gospel proclaiming ministry that we're involved in is a spiritual battle, and so we need to bring spiritual weapons um, to this fight. So if you have someone in your life, as I do, who is represented by this hard soil, we need to pray fervently that God would break up that soil so that they can receive the seed and respond to it. The second kind of soil is the shallow soil. My oldest daughter, Rebecca, lives in a, a, a housing development in suburban Philadelphia. Several years ago, she gave me an apple tree for Father's Day to plant in the backyard with uh, her children, my grandchildren. We always had apple trees growing up, and she thought that'd be a great way for me to connect with my grandchildren. And so the three of them and I, we went out, we had our shovels, we began to dig, and we discovered pretty quickly that the soil was shallow. It was only about, the topsoil was only about six inches deep. Underneath, the developer had left hard concrete-like red clay that was almost impossible to penetrate. So we did our best in planting the tree, uh, but when the first windstorm came, it knocked that tree right over. 
And so they stood it up again. They piled more soil on it. The next windstorm knocked it over again. Finally, a neighbor came with some stakes, and they staked that tree so it would stay up in the midst of storms. And I'm proud to report that this three year they harvested three little apples. <laughs> it's unclear if that tree will ever develop deep enough roots to grow enough apples to make a pie. But the problem with shallow soil is the lack of deep roots to sustain the plant in tough times. And Jesus said that represents the person who responds enthusiastically to the message, but never develops the kind of roots that will lead to long-term growth. See, enthusiasm for Jesus, even enthusiasm for his church, is not enough to sustain us over the long haul. So as you look at your faith, how deep are your roots? Are you investing in spiritual practices like corporate worship, uh, like Bible study and prayer, Sabbath, keeping community and others that will allow you to develop roots that are deep enough to sustain you through hard times? Is there perhaps a spiritual practice you could beef up in your life or, or, or add to your kind of rule of life uh, this year to help you develop those kinds of deep roots. The third type of soil is the thorny soil, and here the seed germinates, it grows, but then the weeds come, the thorns come, and they choke it out. I've had some gardens like this over the years. You know, I've planted the plants in the spring, I'm excited, I give it a lot of attention, then I go away for a vacation for a couple weeks. In the middle of summer, I come back, the weeds have overcome it and they've begun to choke the life out of those plants and I don't get any fruit from them. And Jesus is clear by what he means by the weeds or the thorns in our lives. He says there that we are in danger, spiritual danger from quote, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Some of us just don't have enough time or energy for God's kingdom because we are too busy or too invested in the things of this world. Several years ago, my, my friend Dave was hired to be the pastor of a church in a growing community. It was a, one of those communities that was just building more and more houses and people were moving in, and a lot of those folks were finding their way to the church, and they were bringing in a lot of new members, but the church wasn't growing because people were leaving the church, going out what we call the back door as fast as they were coming in the front door, and so Dave was trying to figure out why are people not sticking here? Why are they moving through here um, so quickly? So he decided to ask, he had a new members class going, he decided to ask them if they had any thoughts for him. So he asked them, can you think of a reason that you might leave this church down the road? Except for moving away, they couldn't think of a reason why they would leave the church. They were excited about this church. That's why they were joining this church. So he asked them another question. He said, well, well, think of it this way. Is there a reason you might miss worship for several Sundays in a row? They thought about it. Somebody said, well, you know, we own a vacation home in the mountains, and we won't be here much during the summer because that's where we'll be. Another one said, well, actually, we own a vacation home too in, in, down in the beach in the New Jersey shore. And we go away for most of the summer. Somebody else said, I have a son who plays ice hockey. The only time we can get ice time is on Sunday morning. So during hockey season, we won't be here very much. 
uh, and others told similar stories. And as Dave reflected on that, he said, you know, the common denominator there was wealth. People's wealth, our wealth creates opportunities for us, good opportunities. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if we're not careful, they can begin to lead us away from God's people and ultimately from God. He says, you know, there's, there's, there's no church in Africa or, or Asia or in the developing world that's having that kind of a conversation. I'll bet you know somebody who that's happened to in their lives. It seems so innocent, and it happens subtly that we don't even notice it occurring. So it would be worth it this week as you spend time with God in prayer and Bible study to ask him, hey, is there an activity in my life that is a risk to me? Or is there an attitude that I have towards money that is a risk to me? Like gardening, the sooner we get the weeds out out, the more fruitful we will become. Which brings us to the good soil, where the word is heard, it's accepted, it bears fruit. Notice here that not all Christians bear the same amount of fruit. He says some bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. So we will all bear different amounts of fruit. But notice also, we will all bear fruit of some kind. So what is that fruit? The Bible talks about fruit in a variety of ways. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So our character is spiritual fruit. So are our good works. Paul also wrote to the Ephesians, for we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Get that. We were created to do good works. And then a third kind of fruit that the scripture talks about is when we help somebody to find and follow Jesus. Just as somebody sowed the seed in our lives and we came to faith, we get to sow the seed in others. And as I said a minute ago, we won't all bear the same amount of fruit, but we, all Christians, will bear fruit. One of my neighbors in New York was a master gardener. And that means he went through a, a training program with Cornell University so he could present gardening programs to the community and could, he could be an individual consultant. So whenever I had a problem with my lawn or with my garden, I'd always go to Tom and I'd say, hey, what's wrong? Does it need more fertilizer? Does it need more water? Does it need more lime? And irritatingly, he would always ask me the same question. Have you tested the soil? Because until you test the soil, we won't know what the problem is and what's the remedy. So friends, I say test your soil. Test the soil of your hearts so that you will know what you need to do to produce kingdom fruit. They who have ears to hear, let them hear. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for all who are here today. I thank you for those who are here who are hard soil. May you break up that hard soil so that they can receive your word and respond. I thank you for those here today who are shallow soil. 
May you empower them to develop deep roots that will sustain them in the midst of trials and tribulation. I thank you as well, Lord, for those who are thorny soil. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to them those things that are threatening their spiritual lives, that they may address them. And God, I thank you for those who are good soil. May they bear much fruit to your glory and to the blessing of those around them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.